Your Steve Jones Show podcast will start shortly. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Brewers Outlet, your beverage supermarket on Reagan Street in Sunbury. Great to have with us the outstanding Mark Brennan. Sir, welcome back. Great to have you with us. It's great to be here, Steve. I have a quick Ricky Ricardo story for you. I was driving home from uh, Columbus and trying to listen to an Eagles game, and I couldn't get the English feed. <laughs> so I turned into Spanish feed. And you know what? I don't, I don't really speak Spanish, you know, other than uh, ordering a beer. Or, right. <laughs> but you, you could understand what was going on because some of the words are the same. And, you know, Miles Sanders, touchdown! And it was, it was actually pretty cool and a learning experience. And you got a, 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 an appreciation for the enthusiasm of that man. It was tremendous. So that was a pretty cool story. He is, I mean, really, I mean, he is an outstanding announcer. And, he's, and when you're doing this particular show, you sit back. He is a great guest to have on. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. He saved John Sterling's life. You hear about that story? I didn't. Yeah, John. The, remember the the flooding that took place. They had that heavy, heavy rains, and the flooding hit New York City and New Jersey uh, late in the season. And Ricky's at a, at a an intersection, and all of a sudden he looks over and he sees John's car, and John's car is starting oh, to get wow. overrun with water. Ricky went over, got him out of the car before it washed, before it got washed away. It was phenomenal. We had him on to talk about that story. It was incredible. That's uh, cool. All right, so let's uh, let's get to yesterday's game. The result really was about what I think Dick and I thought it would be. I mean, Dick said in the pregame show straight out, he said, look, I, the, the, what, the only thing I can see as a scenario here is Penn State wins big. What did you think watching them this week, not just yesterday, but also the last 13-20 against Michigan State? Yeah, you know, I couldn't believe the closing line for that game was was five point five. Um, I don't bet on stuff, but I I should have called my friends who do because right. I just that seemed like crazy to me. But you know, the thing that I've liked about this team under Shrewsbury is that they acknowledge when they mess up and they learn from it, and that to me is what happened in the previous uh, the previous uh, Minnesota game. 13 turnovers, more importantly, leading to 26 points for Minnesota. So you're giving Minnesota 26 points. And after a couple early turnovers yesterday, uh, they just tightened that up. And Minnesota ended that game with three points off turnovers, one of them coming in the final minute of the game when a bunch of the backups were in. So Penn State didn't play a perfect game. Seth Lundy didn't have a great game. Uh, You know, there were a couple of defensive lapses against one player, but – they learned from their mistakes in that previous Minnesota game and how bad that game was for them. And I know, you know, people can talk about officiating or whatever, but Penn State really shot itself in the foot in that game to come back from that and then beat Michigan State and then do what they did against Minnesota. I think it it definitely says something about uh, the coaching of this team. I mean, they're learning from mistakes and the players are buying into what Shrewsbury and everybody else is preaching. Yeah, let's get to the Michigan State game for a moment. This, again, learning from what you've done. Uh, you notice what they did. They sent one to the basket, Hera, on a shot. Right. The other four dropped back right away. Now, Big John's still out there getting offensive rebounds. Uh, so that's not a bad fail-safe to have. But the strategy worked beautifully. The Michigan State could never play the way they wanted to play. Well, and I think you're looking at a different Michigan State team now than, than we used to see. 
because you know, John, Mark, Harris, I, Mark, Mark, I've been saying that all year, right? That yeah. This is not. I mean, those big guys; yeah. those are not your typical Michigan State big guys. You or know? point guards. Michigan State. Yeah, yeah, and that. But but to Penn State's credit, they knew, they knew that, and they took advantage of it, and that's why they were able to do that with John. And I give him a thousand times credit for 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 doing that against that team. It was just tremendous. But, you know, I also like the fact that um, just what they're doing rebounding-wise, defensively, you know, they are, they are focusing on getting defensive rebounds and not allowing second-chance points. And that was another key to that Michigan State game. They held them to zero second-chance points in the first half. Michigan State, when they went on their spurt in the second half, had, I think, 10 in a very short period of time. Then Penn State tightened it up. But with the tempo that this team's playing, and let's, let's face it, let's call it what it is, this is not the most talented team. So to be able to hang with teams that have more athletic ability and more overall talent, they're slowing the tempo. They're the slowest tempo team, as you know, in the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. And the stuff that we're talking about, what they did with Hara uh, on the, on the uh, offensive glass, and then team rebounding on the defensive glass, that plays into it. And that's where, when I've been harping all year, when this team turns the ball over, it is magnified because you're limiting your possessions to start with. So you can't give those possessions away. And if you go back and look at every one of their tough losses, you will see key turnovers that cost them possessions. And you can't do that. If you're only getting X number of possessions per game, you can't, you can't eliminate uh, you know, whatever percent of those things uh, and cost yourself chances to score because they're just not a, a, a super efficient team at scoring. And that's why I made the point, the first question I asked Mike in the in the post-game show yesterday, I said, you know, what did it mean to you that they, when you see that you scored on 51% of your possessions yesterday? They scored on 51% of their possessions. Yeah, well, they, then the other thing they did, Steve, was just attack the, the paint. And it started with Jalen Pickett. I mean, he had a bucket to start the game. He scored twice in the paint. That is, he is doing something. You know, we've seen it from Tony Carr. Uh, you don't see it that much. We saw it from DJ Newbill. You don't see it that much at the college level anymore. I was watching the Sixers Bucks last night, and Drew Holiday was doing it. He's very good. There's a lot of guards yeah. in, the, in the NBA that do it, but guards who can get a defender on their hip, back them down, and score. And think about it. How much do you see that anymore in the college game? But to have a guy like Pickett who can do that, and then when they start moving on him, he's savvy enough that he could fire the ball out, either get a direct assist or a hockey assist, and that's where that whole offense was moving. That was very fun to watch. And to, to watch them attack the paint like that and for, for Minnesota to have no answers, I thought was, was, was again, you know, another instance of, coaches figuring out what's going to work mm-hmm. and the players mm-hmm. buying into it. And yeah. it's almost as if you, you see it, like that light bulb, you know, above the head going off for these guys kind of late in the season. All right. So uh, I want to get to the college football playoff because, of course, yeah. the announcement came out that uh, they're going to stick with four through the end of the contract, which means the next TV round of contracts is going to come up about two, two and a half years from now. So they're going to have to have something in place before then so people know what they're bidding on and how many bidders they want. So just to give everybody a time frame as, as to when it could happen, it's not going to be like, oh, they're going to wait till it's over with. 
No. Right. What was your thought as to how this played out and why it played out the way it did? Uh, I, I'm assuming it's <laughs> – I hate to be a skeptic, but I think it's working for certain for certain conferences. It's, it's not really working for other conferences. And that's where I would say, Steve, that the thing that James Franklin has been, been uh, kind of not so subtly hinting at the last couple years – uh, about the Big Ten and adjusting, doing something to figure out a way where you don't have this disparity of talent in the East versus the West. Because I think the East teams are just, just gobbling each other up, and, and it's making it very difficult for the Big Ten to, do, to get as many teams into that college football playoff when it's at four. But it's not only the Big Ten that's worrying about it. So if you're in the SEC, you're perfectly content with the way that this thing is working. So that's, you know, maybe I'm a skeptic, but I think it's working for certain conferences. It's obviously making money. You know, that goes into it. But I do think if this thing were opened up to eight, the Big Ten would be a much bigger factor. And until the Big Ten comes up with some sort of restructuring of the conference divisions or whatever, uh, I think it's going to be very difficult uh, for them to make the sort of impact the SEC is making just because, again, you look at the teams in the East and what they do to each other every year, it's really just, you know, very difficult to get out of there. Yeah, that's why I've advocated for 12. I've advocated for 12 for over a year, even before the original proposal came out. But with the, you know, but you have to also make concessions if you want to do that. And one of the concessions I thought is, I think instead of having one bye week, I think every conference needs to have two bye weeks because anybody who makes the playoff, you're trying to couch the yeah. amount of uh, amount of hitting because you'll have a third bye week because there's going to be a separator between conference championship games and when the playoff begins. Yeah, and I would be all for that. I mean, I think that's a good idea. And you know, just as physical, you know, as, as many injuries as you're seeing, uh, I think having an extra bye week would be a good thing too. And if you can do that as a means to getting a playoff, uh, I'm all for it. Yeah. Uh, in the end. Just as your guess, what do you think would be the best format for them to do? I my my thought would be to go eight, uh, because I think there's less likelihood of miss, missing out on one of the best teams. I would not be averse to twelve, but I think eight would be mathematically the easiest thing for them to figure out. So that that would be my kind of take on it. Okay. And the other announcement made today was that the men's and women's Final Fours will remain separate um, in separate cities. There have been some thought they, they might take the women's Final Four and couple it with the men's. Uh, what was your thought on that? I did not hear that, but... That's um, why that's why this show exists. Yeah, I think <laughs> it would actually be my, my, my take, and I don't, I don't follow women's basketball very closely... But I think if you were to have them both in the same facility, it would actually be good for the women's game because I think you would get more eyes on it. I mean, I think or not in the same, uh, you know, at the same time in the same area, whatever. You know, I always thought it would be cool if, and I was just kind of thinking about this uh, a couple weeks ago. You know, like the Big Ten, and I know they'll never do it because they want to separate everything out. But how cool would it be for the Big Ten to have like a championship? Uh, winter sports week where you had men's hoops, women's hoops, and wrestling all in the same city in the same week. Again, I know that's never going to happen, 
But I think from a fan's perspective, that would be awesome that you can go to an Indianapolis. They have enough facilities there and have different uh, things going on in different places. And I think it would be a whole lot of fun. But I know why they don't do that, because by spreading them out one week to another week to another week, you're spreading out the uh, overall coverage that much more. You're not condensing it into one thing. But I think from a fan perspective, it would be great. And that's kind of what I'm getting at with the the men's and women's hoops being at the same place yeah. uh, for the Final Four. I think it would just have get more eyes on the women's game, which I think would be very helpful for it. Outstanding as always. Enjoy it. Thanks so much, Mark. Have a great weekend. And uh, I know I've said this before, but congrats to Grace on the great work she's doing, too. I appreciate it, Steve, and thanks for having me on. And I will see you next week. What What is the next home game? It's not Monday. It's Friday late. night. Friday night. Friday night. Oh, it's the James Harden uh, debut game for the Sixers, and I'm going to be at the Jordan Center. But we'll have fun. Yep. Sounds great. I look forward to it. It's a big okay, game dude. because that's that might be the game that determines who plays Wednesday and who plays Thursday. So, Yeah, it's looking that way. Hey, big game coming up Monday, too, though. That's Absolutely. That's a big game for Penn State, potentially getting to 500. So. Huge. All that, right, Steve. That's huge. Thanks, Mark. Yep. Thanks, buddy.